It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 82, we discuss the final viewership numbers for the World Cup final, including how many people watched uh, the entire World Cup in the United States, news about the first Liga Amekis game in, in English on FS1, which will debut this weekend, what changes you can expect from NBC Sports Gold's coverage of the Premier League this season, and we have a bunch of letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, the World Cup is over. Um, it's been a long month. Uh, any any standout moments for you or any uh, interesting observations, kind of in, in brief? Yeah, the Fox pregame show for the final. I haven't watched Fox pregame, uh, postgame, or late night shows the entire tournament. And I thought, okay, you know, I've watched Telemundo. I've you know, scrounged and got BBC and ITV coverage. I've got BN, uh, Middle Eastern, North Africa coverage. Let's let's actually give Fox a chance. I, I, I can't even describe in words how bad it was from my perspective. It was patronizing. It was insulting. It was uh, dumbing down of coverage. It was uh, essentially uh, kindergarten class or one-on-one class about, about the sport. And it was just it was just terrible. Yeah, I, um, over the weekend. So for the for the World Cup final, I watched it uh, in a bar, which was the, for the very first time in the entire tournament that I watched the game uh, outside of my uh, my home office and watched it in a bar. And so, uh, I mean, you have the TVs on, you can't hear what they're saying. Uh, it's just kind of background noise. So, so I missed uh, anything pre-game or post-game that they that they talked about or any, any of the commentary really. But I did later that night. I did watch. Actually, no, earlier that morning. So I think I like like one o'clock in the morning, after coming back from um, going to see a, a major league soccer game, uh, I switched on TV. Is kind of just flipping through in, in the hotel and came across uh, World Cup tonight, which is probably the first time I'd watched it in about three weeks after the first week. I mean, the first few nights were horrible. Um, and it, it, to me, a lot of listeners probably won't get this comparison, but to me, it was just as bad, if not worse, than Soccer Talk Live, which is the show that Kyle Martino did, um, one of his you know, one of his first kind of TV broadcasts uh, in front from the television for Fox Soccer Channel, probably like at least a decade ago. It was just it was a car crash. But just watching this World Cup tonight for maybe like like three or four minutes, I was like, "This is so such a bad TV show." It was absolutely was awful. It, it was uh, so Kate Abdo and Fernando Fiore. So they they had, I mean, pretty quickly uh, throughout this whole month had uh, partnered, uh, had them co-hosting rather than than having uh, Fernando hosting the show. And then it was, um, I think, Grant Wall, Kobe Jones, and Gus Hiddink. And they were just a lot of inside jokes, a lot of they weren't even funny, just joking about just being silly. I mean, it, it was almost like a real, a really bad real, reality TV show. Wow. But um, anyway, anyway so, so the World Cup final itself, I missed it. I, I missed the, the coverage and, and, and the actual commentary. I mean, the game was fantastic. Uh, I watched it in a bar in Orlando uh, off International Drive called Game Changers. And there was probably about 100 to 150 people there. Um, good game. I mean, they, I mean, everyone was, was really, really enjoying the game. Um, I mean, everyone cheering, etc. And the moment that the game was over and the, the trophy was uh, raised, I think uh, every single person left the bar and there was nobody there. And then we had the Major League Soccer game on right afterwards. So even though the MLS numbers are going to be pretty good for, um, for that game, the Atlanta-Seattle game, I'm not sure how many people I have to question the wisdom. I'm going to throw this out here. I got to question the wisdom. I know MLS is driven by the metric of attendance right. and numbers. Right. I have to question the wisdom of having an Atlanta game on, on turf uh, uh, in an indoor facility after the World Cup final. I would have put a Portland game on uh, from Portland. It, it, with the atmosphere, with the rain, I know it was 11 a.m. there, right? But or it, it, I would have done that or a Kansas City game, something outdoors, something with um, – a, a vibrant supporters culture, not kind of an American sports sportish culture, okay. uh, because I think you're hooking, trying to hook soccer fans. Um, I don't think it was, or if you're going to have Seattle, Atlanta, have it from Seattle. Uh, although again, it's 11 a.m. there. I, I just feel like maybe showing Atlanta might, we might look 
been a few months and think that was a missed opportunity that they could have shown Kansas City or Port, uh, Kansas City or Portland home match. Uh, there were some others, Orlando, where you were uh, for, uh, Saturday night. The, the Toronto game could have very easily been the game afterwards, and Orlando has an outdoor atmosphere. Um, although playing in the afternoon in Orlando outdoors is really difficult in the summer because right. of the, the heat and humidity. But uh, I, I just something else. I, or maybe DC United's uh, Audi field debut. I mean, there, I, there was some fear that that may not sell out, but uh, in the in the run up to the match. But I, I just think the metric of attendance drives them putting Atlanta on. I think the atmosphere would probably, if the goal was to hook people, now the, the goal was to get the highest possible television rating, those are the top two markets, Seattle and Atlanta, we know that. But if it was to hook new MLS fans or, or soccer fans who tuned into the World Cup final to MLS, I would have picked another venue. Yeah, it's a double thing for MLS. So Major League Soccer, by having these games uh, that, that follow the World Cup games and, and the World Cup final, uh, one, I think the most important thing is really to boost the TV ratings. So at the end of the season, when they look back at the, the numbers of uh, the average number of viewers for Major League Soccer, those numbers are going to be much, much better than, than previous years. And it'll show, it'll show an increase, whatever that increase is going to be. But uh, I think Major League Soccer can, can use that then as a metric um, in, in marketing, in advertising, in PR, uh, etc. to say, hey, Major League Soccer is improving. In some ways, it to me, it's a it's a false number because I mean you have I mean you have like what fifteen million people watching a World Cup final and you have over a million people that leave on leave the TV sets on uh, and then those numbers are recorded and I, I don't think that's a very accurate number but it is it is what it is I mean for Major League Soccer it makes sense to at least try that to to boost their numbers. And, and the second thing is, is to hook people. I mean, to try to get them to introduce people to Major League Soccer and get them watching it on a weekly basis. And we'll see pretty quickly. I mean, we'll see this weekend's numbers. Uh, and we'll talk about it on next week's podcast. Does that have an impact or not? Is that going to actually um, boost, the, boost the TV ratings for other games that are on ESPN or FS1 or whatever for Major League Soccer? Atlanta, I don't know. It's... Um, it's impressive to look at for somebody that hasn't watched Major League Soccer before and see those massive uh, crowds. And uh, yes, the artificial p- uh, pitch is pretty bad. But uh, I, I actually, I, I agree with you, though, can't take, I think sport, Sporting Kansas City or, or Portland or something like that, something more authentic that actually gives you a really better atmosphere um, would have been better. But um, I guess it just didn't work out that way. But but I think for Major League Soccer, they'll walk away from this and... Um, I mean, they'll be smiling. This, this, is, a, this is a good thing. And, and we'll see. We'll, we'll see in the, in the coming weeks um, where it goes in terms of the TV ratings. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if uh, they maintain that, that uh, following that they seem to have developed in post-match World Cup matches. Uh, again, the turf, it's an issue for me, but it's also an issue for other people. A lot of other people mentioned it, which is why perhaps Seattle and Portland would have been disqualifiers. But again, those are outdoor venues. I think the turf as a problem, as a detriment, is, is, is uh, enhanced because of the indoor venue. It, it just kind of goes yeah. hand in hand, indoor and turf, whereas well, uh, in Portland you don't notice it as much, honestly. Yeah. And also with the Atlanta Stadium, the acoustics, you mean having it kind of in an indoor stadium or a stadium that has, has a roof that they, can, that they can use and then the, the artificial turf on top of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so for me it was um, – it's been about a year since I've seen a Major League Soccer game in, in person. Uh, I think it was actually last fall I went to a game that was um, Atlanta against Orlando in, in Orlando. And uh, got to see Orlando against uh, Toronto FC this past weekend on, on Saturday night. My impressions, um, it, this, this, it, pretty much the same thing as last year. The, the atmosphere is fantastic. So the crowds... The noise, uh, the fans, I mean, it, it's a great atmosphere. It's a great place to go to watch a game and, uh, and really enjoy watching and experiencing the fans cheering and, and the, the noise that they create and the, the wall and the banners and, 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 all, and the singing and all of that. So that's something you don't get on television, but that is something that, that's great. Having said that, I mean, still to this day, I mean, the, the quality of football is poor and 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 this is um orlando had so many chances and so many basic opportunities to at least get the the shot or header on target and would have completely sky it you mean way over the bar 
I mean, basic, basic stuff that you would see that from any other league that you watch from around the world or any other top league that those, those, those strikers I, I would mean, be uh, capitalizing on is, that. These are particularly bad teams, Toronto and Orlando. And well, um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I'm just basing it on what I'm seeing. So I'm watching yeah. so the Toronto Toronto team was actually because well, I see a lot of good finishing in MLS games I watch on television, honestly, and finishing that wasn't in the league five years ago and finishing as an NASL guy uh, and USL guy, a guy that's really been tied to the to the lower divisions in this country. I say, my gosh, our guys at, at the second division level cannot. Doesn't, don't have that touch, don't have that finishing ability, don't have that vision. Now I know why those guys are in MLS and our guys are in USL. Yeah. Seriously. So I think it's, it depends. It's random. It depends on well, the Well, yeah. So, so, so I, again, I'm just basing this on what I saw, which is Orlando against Toronto. And Toronto, I thought, was a better team. Um, it's just that um, Orlando had a couple of chances and, and, and did score from those cha- couple of chances. Um, but they had like I don't know, like ten or fifteen other chances that they could have at least put it on target. So, to, so to me, I haven't gone to the the Portlands or the Atlantas or the NYCFC uh, games, but <clears throat> from what I saw, I was just again second time in twelve months, and it was the same thing last year too. It was, it was just a quality. I mean, a really poor team. I mean, Orlando's not not a good team, uh, yeah. and Toronto was better, but didn't didn't win this one. All right, Carter, what about you? What else have you been uh, up to this past week? That, that's, been, that, that's been all I've been watching on, yeah, on TV. Yeah, it's just been NPSL for me because of uh, my work with Miami FC, and we had a playoff game Saturday night. At the same time, you were at that Orlando City game, uh, which, uh, again, and the thing about NPSL that's very unusual, which we weren't used to in NASL with Miami FC or with Fort Lauderdale, who I previously worked for, or the league I previously worked for, is that you kind of – it's a it's a massive national playoff tournament. You don't know if you're going to have home games. It depends on other results. So Saturday's home game we knew, but we weren't sure we were going to have that game until a few days earlier against the Jacksonville Armada, old NASL rival. Uh, it was a very good game. Miami FC raised their level, best best game they played all season. Um, then we didn't know if we were going to host a home game on 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 Tuesday uh, because Chattanooga and Atlanta Silverbacks, who uh, the former another former NASL team, Chattanooga, big big time team in NPSL, were playing. Um, there was a penalty shootout. Phil D'Amico, uh, the keeper for for uh, Chattanooga, was here from the state of Florida. I watched this match after our game was done. He came off his line twice and made two saves, and those were. The refs chalked the, the ref chalked those off. So Atlanta advanced. So then we got another home game on Tuesday against a former NASL rival. Uh, actually, Miami FC was never in the league with them, but a rival of the Four Lauderdale Strikers on Tuesday. We leave the game Tuesday thinking we're not going to have another home game and uh, come home, watch the stream of Laredo and Little Rock. And Laredo hasn't dropped a point all season. Thought Miami FC was headed to Laredo on Saturday. Lo and behold, Little Rock beats them in the 114th minute or something, 2-1. Um, and uh, now uh, Little Rock is coming here Saturday, so I have another game to broadcast on Saturday and another game to prepare for and, and work around and, and everything. So uh, NPSL has consumed me uh, partly because – and it's also this Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday format, which we've been in going back to July 3rd. This will be the sixth or seventh game we played in 18 days. So really – with the World Cup and with this NPSL playoffs, uh, Chris, until Miami FC's out, I've, I've uh, been worn down and, and planning on taking a break, even if now this wasn't my plan, but even if it spills into the first week or two of um, the uh, the European club seasons, I might I just need a break from soccer at some point. <laughs> so, so yeah, the Tuesday-Saturday uh, rotation, that sounds like it's a European season. It sounds like it's a, you mean, a, a championship season where you're playing lots of games in quick succession yeah and it's worn down the players and I, and I have to say from a business standpoint it's worn down the sponsors where they're activating for the saturday games but not for the tuesday games that's potential revenue loss uh it's wearing down the vendors i mean it's just it, it, it is very european uh that way and that's something about npsl that's very different than um i always wondered just being an nasl or usl person looking at the divisions immediately below us how do they get 20 games in over three months thinking ah that's that's odd how do they get 15 to 20 games in per conference or per team now i realize it's because they just go they, they play twice a week and um when you you don't have a terribly deep squad Miami fc has a very talented squad a very you know a professional squad that was that came from NASL, a lot of guys on, on decent salaries, but decent wages, but not uh, not deep. You know, they go 16 or 17 deep, which is not uh, enough when you're doing when you're constantly playing. 
So coming up in a minute, we've got some news about uh, NBC Sports Gold as well as, well as uh, League MX. So uh, before we uh, go to that, I do want to mention our sponsor, which is SeatGeek. And uh, buying tickets can be complicated and, can, and confusing, but there is a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. And uh, I've been using SeatGeek in the past couple of weeks to look for tickets for the International Champions Cup, uh, maybe to take some, some of my kids to those games. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theatre. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's one word. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, over to you for some uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, NBC has announced that the NBC Sports Gold paid subscription service will be returning for the 2018-19 season. So for everyone, the same uh, everything is so f- everything is the same except the addition of a new show called Guaranteed Soccer Box and a guarantee of at least four games per club that will be shown exclusively via NBC Sports Gold. That's a, a jump from 120 uh, to 150 games overall. That will be on that. Uh, by the way, the price still remains $50 a season. Uh, note, because I've got the notification, uh, your uh, subscription will auto-renew on August 1st if you don't cancel it now or in the next two weeks. Yeah, you go. Yep, absolutely. I, I've already hit, switched off uh, the auto-renew. And uh, and for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to renew it, though, Carter, because with Swansea going down to the championship um, – which is which actually so Swansea's rather than going with I follow and it and this goes for a lot of championship and and League One and League Two clubs, um, a lot a lot of them are going with their own video streaming service and not hmm, using I follow. Really? So but so Swansea has their own service. They're, they're launching and I think it's a hundred and forty five dollars a season. So it's a, it's a lot of money. Um, if you work it out per game, maybe it's not so much. But so um, the uh, or the football league is allowing them to opt out of iFollow. That's uh, maybe that's yeah. something worth exploring. Yeah, this, 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 uh, yeah. I think even last season, I think Leeds United, Aston Villa, um, and a few others kind of said, okay, forget iFollow. We're just going to do our own uh, subscription service. And I'm sure they can, you I mean, make more money from it because there's no middleman, which would be the EFL um, with the iFollow. So the, yeah, the NBC Sports Gold. I'm not sure if I'm going to renew that. I, I, I might. I don't know. I, I have to wait and see. But, um, but yeah, you mentioned the Gary Neville Soccer Box show. Uh, that's going to be a new addition. Everything else is the same. Um, it's interesting because I, I originally wrote the story about uh, the number of games increasing. So last season it was 130 that they're advertised, and then this season, this coming season, it's going to be 150. But hearing back from NBC Sports, they said actually the number of games that were streamed last season ended up being 150. Um, it was that uh, with the, the way that the schedule worked out. Um, Rescheduling of game matches. There was yeah. a lot. There was more last season than in previous years, it felt like. Yeah. So, so, so actually, they, they said that the number of games is the same as what it was last year. It's 150. And uh, it's still $50 a season. I, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's, uh, it depends if you're a hardcore fan of Premier League clubs in general. And you just like watching the Premier League, I think it's worth it. Um, or if you're a fan of the other 14, so you mean the top six are not going to be on there that much. They're going to be on there uh, probably a minimum of, of four, or actually probably a maximum of four games. Um, each and then all the other 14 clubs, they're probably going to be on there from like 40 to 60 percent of the time on um, on NBC Sports Gold. But it's interesting that they're bringing that back out. The other thing, too, is they, they've actually officially now added a, uh, 
a service or an option for uh, bars and restaurants. Um, so uh, you can go to worldsoccertalk.com for our story about NBC Sports Gold. And then it has a link then to find out more information if you're a bar owner or you're a supporters group and you want to find out you know, how much it costs or how do I go ahead and find out more information about that service. All right, so the new Liga Mekis season kicks off this weekend um, with most of the games on Univision Deportes. Uh, the season begins on Friday, while FS1 is going to broadcast uh, their very first English-language broadcast of Liga Mekis, and that is on Saturday, uh, July 21st at 10 p.m. Eastern. It's uh, Club Tijuana against Chivas. Um, Fox, up, at, up until this podcast, which we're recording on Thursday, haven't announced any details. So we don't know who the announcers are going to be. Uh, maybe Jorge Perez Navarro, perhaps. We're not sure. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. And also the game is going to be shown on some Fox Sports regional networks. Um, Fox Sports Arizona and I think Fox Sports San Diego and probably some other ones too. So um, And also the Spanish-language broadcast of this game is uh, going to be on Fox Deportes. So Fox has... The, the rights, English and Spanish, to the home games of Club Tijuana, otherwise known as uh, Cholos. Are they, uh, are they cannibalizing their own audience, putting matches on Fox Sports Regional Networks and on FS1? Uh, I mean, I guess it all it's it all adds up, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, it is a bit right. Yeah, because it's one of those things that uh, I'm sure regionally within Arizona and San Diego, you mean Cholos is probably more popular. So maybe the local team in San Diego for all intents and purposes. Exactly, exactly. So I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they're thinking that um, not all the games will be on FS1 and some of the games will be on the Fox Sports regionals, and uh, maybe that's that's. Uh, but it, even with the Fox Sports regionals, not all those games are going to be live. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm sure there's some cannibalization there, but uh, at the end of the day. I don't know, maybe it all adds up to, to, to better ratings for both the regional channels, uh, networks, and FS1 as, as a, uh, a bigger sports network. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, actually. I mean, I'll have the Miami FC game, but I'll, I'm going to hit the DVR and make yeah. sure I tape that. Yeah, I'll uh, watch I, it. I'll watch it, too, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, the Club Tijuana is a club I try and follow anyway. So I'm actually, uh, as much as we've criticized Fox the last few weeks on this show, I'm actually excited that Fox is broadcasting their home games this year because I probably will try and watch all of them, if I'm perfectly honest. And there's sure. a to those that don't know, but there's a real American flavor to that club, which makes sense. They're right on the border. They get a lot of cross-border fans. But a lot of the... U.S. men's national team pool players that you see called in for B friendlies or even the, the fringe of the A friendlies uh, or, or the Gold Cup, et cetera, or, uh, have either uh, passed through that club or, or currently play for that club. So it's definitely a, a very kind of Americanized team uh, in Liga Mekis. Um, moving on. So over 5 million U.S. consumers will cut the cord in 2018, a move that will cost the pay TV industry billions in lost subscription revenue, according to a survey. Cord cutters saved an average of $85 each month after leaving pay TV, according to survey responses. And of those who left, 79% said they were happy with the decision to cut the cord. Only 5% said they regretted their decision and would go back to pay TV. Those are pretty striking numbers, Chris. The question I have to ask you as a cord cutter in the wake of this news is now that you have to add an ESPN Plus, a Bleacher Report Live, <laughs> a, you know, all of these, these a la carte um, – OTT services does that five percent uh, begin to spike up? Yeah, well, it, it hasn't started yet. So, so which is interesting too, because like Bleacher Report Live originally was supposed to be free through until the end of June. Um, then they changed it. Um, so, so anyway, Bleacher Report Live at some point is going to start charging, probably in the coming weeks, and uh, once we get closer to the uh, the Champions League season. So, I haven't paid that yet. <laughs> I, I think that's that's part of it. Is it, I'm, I'm, I haven't had to pay it. Once I have to start paying, then it's a different story. But yeah, Bleacher Report Live, um, NBC Sports Gold. I mean, my Swansea kind of streaming package, um, and and. Uh, DAZN and, and and others, I'm sure it's going to start adding up. Yeah. But whether you're a cable, if anything, though, though, Kartik, if I'm a cable subscriber, I'm probably going to be more upset than I would as as a cord cutter. At least with cord cutting, I can I'm saving money and not having to 
to subscribe to Comcast um, every month. Um, I don't know. It, it is going to get more expensive, and, that, and that's the thing at the end of the day for everyone, whether you're a cord cutter or whether you're a, you mean, a cable or satellite subscriber. If you want to watch everything you want, you want to watch, it's going to, it's going to cost you more money. But, uh, yeah, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting in the next couple of months. At the end of the day, too, uh, the sad thing is, is it, it promotes illegal streaming more. It, it encourages people to go that, down that path. But uh, I don't know. We'll, have to, we'll probably cover that on the uh, upcoming uh, podcast, I'm sure. All right, moving on to TV ratings. So some big numbers, of course, uh, out of the World Cup. And um, so the average number of viewers... Uh, for a World Cup game, so you had 64 games, and uh, taking Fox Sports and um, Telemundo combined, that average for uh, the World Cup was over 4 million viewers. Uh, 2 million of those were from Telemundo, and approximately, I think, I think 2.2 or 2.4 from um, from Fox Sports. So 64 games, that's pretty incredible um, to have those, those types of numbers, uh, even for games that... You mean kind of, you mean, I don't know, Egypt against uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, games like that where you wouldn't imagine the, the viewership would be that great across the entire World Cup, uh, decent numbers. Of course, they're down from 2014 um, with the U.S. not being involved. We expected that. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, for the World Cup final, which was on both Fox and Telemundo uh, combined, was 16.2 million viewers, which is, which is fantastic. That one game in isolation. Um, and once you include the streaming numbers with that, so f- from Fox Sports streaming and Telemundo streaming, uh, that climbs to over 17 million people that watch the World Cup final. Uh, what it does not include yet is the out-of-home viewership. So people like myself who went to a bar and... I mean, whether it was a, a public uh, watch party outside or whether it was like in Miami where they had like a huge giant screen in, in the bay where people were watching it. Um. There was a couple of places in Miami, actually. I mean, there was uh, the Wynwood uh, event. There was an event on the Miracle yeah. Mile in Coral Gables. And there was an event uh, uh, at, uh, at the uh, wharf in, in Miami. I mean, I, I have to say, Chris, I guess I shouldn't have – this is maybe the wrong time, but I should have mentioned it earlier. There was nothing – there's nothing quite been in my soccer – uh, fandom experience like being in Miami during a World Cup, being in downtown, being in the Brickell area, being in the Central Business District. It was uh, it was amazing. It was like being in Europe. Wow. It was it was great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I can't even. And this is part of the reason why it, it, we record this podcast. And I get in the car and run down to, to my office because it was just there was this feeling. People wearing their kits into uh, and I mean, there's a stereotype in part in the rest of the country that, oh, it's just you know, Latin American fans. So many people I saw wearing Spain and England uh, kits in particular, but also even some Belgium, even some Germany in Miami, which has become a very kind of European city. Also, in the last uh, five to 10 years, there's been a, a, a shift in the demographics, which I know Don Garber and David Beckham have highlighted in their presentations about MLS. There, But it was it was amazing. And then you still have that Latin element, a lot of. Colombia fans more than anything, fewer Brazil fans, fewer Argentina fans, but Colombia in particular. It it was just neat. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, and and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, I think nationwide, I mean, not in every area, but listeners probably, too, in terms of uh, places that you went or even bars or just talking to people. I mean, everyone seemed to be in on this World Cup. Um, everyone, yeah. you mean, all, all my contacts, you mean, all people I'd run into, everyone was really excited about this World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see what those out-of-home viewership numbers are and what the final tabulation of, of that viewing audience is for this World Cup final because and yeah, I'm sure it's much, much greater than 17 million. 17 million by itself um, still, I mean, it's lower than the 2014 World Cup final, which was uh, Germany against Argentina. There you had two powerhouses. I mean, so you had I mean, Germany and Argentina with Messi, uh, Croatia. Uh, I mean, just a great success story, but a very small population. And then France, which, I mean, there's a lot of Americans that hate France. But no, it's not, not only that. It's just I think there's been a decline in sports television ratings since 2014 um, yeah. in general. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I'm just comparing it to – yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's been a, a, a trend with that too. Um, so 2014, it was 26 million that watched the, the final um, not an apples to apples comparison, but just to put it into context. But still, I, I think 17 million for that final was was pretty darn good. 
The game that uh, uh, followed it was the Atlanta game against Seattle, which was on Fox on Sunday. Uh, the viewership, the average viewership for that one was 1.5 million, uh, which puts it in the top five most watched Major League Soccer games, um, I believe, in the history or at least in the last 10 years of the league. So, so a huge number there, 1.5 million. Um, then we had uh, LAFC against Portland. That was on uh, Sunday uh, evening on ESPN. Uh, this one had uh, 263,000 viewers. So taking the World Cup effect out of the way, um, here's what we have with more realistic numbers for Major League Soccer, which is the 2000, uh, 263,000 for LAFC Portland, um, which was a nil-nil draw, I believe. Then you had, uh, just to put that into context, so that 263,000 viewership, um, that same afternoon on ESPN2, uh, you had the Cornhole Championship, and that one had 236,000 viewers. So, I don't know, you, we wouldn't expect there be, to what, be many fans. Are you using horn? What, what is that? <laughs> Cornhole. Uh, that's a game that you have those bags that you have to throw to try to land on the, the, the wooden frame, like a board, and try and get it in the hole. So it, it, it's a big, okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big game among uh, I don't know college kids. All right, so that's the TV ratings. Let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, the first one up is from Ed Ryder. Uh, he sent this in through email. He says, "If we are mainly a Premier League and U.S. men's national team soccer family, does our new Amazon Prime TV service offer anything worth uh, knowing about?" Uh, yeah, I, I guess the Manchester City documentary will come out in August, will come out next month, and that'll be six parts. That'll be on Amazon Prime. And then there are some assorted documentaries on soccer that you can find on Amazon Prime TV. Uh, there's also – there are probably more on Netflix actually. But uh, keep keep checking because there are things that come uh, in terms of documentaries and um, and soccer things on Amazon Prime and on Netflix that uh, if you're not looking, you won't know about. Yeah. Uh, other than the, the documentaries, though, there isn't anything as far as games or any coverage else uh, otherwise. But but yeah, definitely some great documentaries. Uh, Netflix has a bunch. I think that the, the Pelé uh, film is on there, as yeah. well as the Juventus one and... Uh, there's a lot more. Class of '92. There's a right. there's a film on uh, Netflix about the Denmark uh, Euro triumph that I was thinking about during Croatia's run. Huh. Uh, that there's a documentary on on Denmark there on on and uh, Peter Schmeichel and and, and uh, everybody. Uh, there's a lot. There's just a lot of good soccer content on Netflix. You have to look for it, but. Um, there's stuff if you if you search. What Netflix does is they get a lot of the the English soccer documentaries. Oh, also on Netflix, um, this might be interesting to you. Uh, is the uh, Salford City documentaries? Okay, yeah, which I think I've seen those. Uh, I think on BBC or someplace, but yeah. they, they were interesting. I, I definitely enjoyed those, so I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, uh, they have all three seasons on Netflix. So. Um, or all three seasons. I don't know if it's still ongoing, but right. uh, the three seasons that have been, uh, been filmed previously. It's, it's really good. You get a look at uh, at gigs and schools and, and Neville. And it, it kind of reinforces your stereotypes about each of them, to be honest. And Nicky <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Gary, Gary and Phil Neville are the hard-charging types compared to, the, to, to schools who's very kind of laid-back gigs who's, you know, he takes it as it comes type of thing. And, and, and then Nicky Butt, who's... who's uh, got, got a similar attitude so mm-hmm. um it, and it feels like gary and phil are the ones really running that club yeah if you watch the documentary at least that was my take yeah anyway. yeah yeah mine too uh next up is nuke uh via twitter and he says i'm fascinated how the neymar mbappe relationship will evolve this season how can one man have this much bad luck going from the greatest of all time to the next one and and to me Kartik, my two cents on this one too is that uh to be honest, I've never been a, f- a fan of Neymar. I think in many ways he's overrated. I think in many ways that Brazil needs a hero, and he's been put into into that position. Um, but his yeah. value that clubs are paying, like PSG are paying, uh, is far greater than actually his, his worth in terms of his talent. And I think we saw in this World Cup too, yes, Neymar did create you mean, opportunities and assists, but there were many opportunities in games where you know, he was one-on-one with a keeper or the, he had opportunities to actually to make something to, 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 on his own to, to create something. 
and he failed. And Mbappe is on a different wavelength completely in terms of his speed, agility, even uh, technical ability, and and just his overall um, whether it's sportsmanship or whether it's just his attitude. Uh, I mean, it's, it's perfect, it, it, and to me, he's much more of a, a model uh, professional footballer than the Neymar is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And Neymar had problems with Cavani this past season, who is uh, uh, over historically, you know, an underappreciated player both at club and, and, and national team level, whether it was at Napoli before PSG or or with Uruguay. And I have to say, okay, I, I'll eat a little humble pie on Neymar. He's better than I thought he'd be, but he's not one of the elite players in the world, in my opinion. Um, when he came to Barcelona in 2013, I infamously made a comment that uh, I have to see this guy in the flesh in a Europe. In, in Europe. Uh, I would still start Pedro over him if I were uh, Barcelona's manager. Now, it turns out he's better than Pedro Rodriguez. OK, I get it. But my point was Pedro had won two Euros and a, and a World Cup and two, three Champions Leagues by that point. Um, I, I, I want to see what this guy can do. OK, he was better than Pedro. Pedro got shipped out to Chelsea the next year. But um I, I'm still, you know, I, 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 I build that team around Mbappe and Cavani. Uh, if Cavani, Cavani's 31, but he is the heart and soul. Uh, they had Lavezzi before, who I think was an important player for them, and Ibra also. Uh, I, I just think Neymar is he, he shouldn't overwhelm the PSG project because they've had so many other good players come through there. And if you're going to compare Ibra to Neymar in terms of their relevance as top global footballers. Uh, for any length of time, and as someone you can build the squad around, I mean, I would take Ebro over him. So even in the PSG, in this period of PSG hegemony, I don't even think he's the greatest player in in this era that they've had. Next up is uh, CT Blues, and he posted this comment on uh, on WorldSoccerTalk.com. He says, uh, "What is John Strong and Stuart Holden going to be doing now that Fox doesn't have the Champions League? Is Fox going to send them to Germany to do Bundesliga matches, or from a monitor in Los Angeles?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think part of this too is, I mean, we, we reported in last week's podcast in terms of um, how Fox Sports uh, lost money on this World Cup. And um, so if anything, I think it's going to be more cost cutting. The, yeah. the likelihood of Fox sending anyone uh, to Europe at this point is, is even worse than it was before, which is, which is a no. So I think it's essentially just Major League Soccer games. I mean, I think that's and and then of course the build up to uh, next year's Women's World Cup. Um, so any U.S. friendlies or uh, games involving the U.S. Women's National Team, I, I see them getting more involved in that. But uh, I would think it'd be a pretty light schedule, a, a lot lighter than what they've done in the past. And uh, and for those games that are played in in the U.S., yeah, I'm sure they'll, they'll be at those games. And for Bundesliga games, it'll be off um, off the monitor. Next up is Jan, Yannick uh, Ramke uh, via Twitter, and he says, uh, the impact, this is going back to last week's pod, uh, the impact of media rights deals after next season will be limited for La Liga. Certainly there's interest in getting greater distribution and presentation of its products, such as commentary and shoulder programming, to grow in the United States, but La Liga has already been guaranteed a lump sum until 2024 from MediaPro. Uh, which is approximately 900 million euros per year starting in 2019. And so there's really no benefit from an increase in rights fees. Um, In my opinion, he says, uh, there's too much made of Fox losing money on World Cup 2018. It had to be expected. I think Fox also guaranteed viewership aggressively to advertisers, knowing that make goods uh, for ad slots are likely Losses and profits should be averaged over the rights period from World Cup 2018 to 2026, including the Women's World Cups. After all, it should be one of the greatest media rights deals ever, thanks to awarding rights by a no-bids contract from FIFA as a make-good for Qatar being moved to the winter uh, for Fox. Uh, In my opinion, having average viewership of 8 to 9 million people per game in the group stage of the 2026 World Cup is not impossible if USA gets its act together by then. Regarding Serie A, uh, you need to add uh, DAZN as a dark horse candidate. They have added international soccer as part of their offering and in every market they've entered. Dragging out the process for Serie A rights should also benefit DAZN given that they're still in the process of setting up their U.S. operation in New York City. Uh, lots of positions to be filled, lots of hiring going on. Uh, any thoughts on that, Kartik? 
Yeah, on both things. Uh, point well taken on Fox and the duration of the uh, of the of the rights deal. However, I think eight or nine million is 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 a tad bit ambitious uh, for the group stage. Even if it is, even though it will be in the U.S. in twenty twenty six, I think that that's uh, uh, they're, they're never going to get to that level on uh, DAZN as a, a potential partner for Serie A uh, in the, or partner for IMG. IMG is going to be sub licensing. The U.S. rights uh, in the next week or two, I, I understand. Uh, that's a great shout. I, I think that they very much could be a player. Uh, they are going to be aggressive in this market with international football rights. You're right, Yannick. I just don't know if this Serie A thing has popped up too quickly for them. That's the only question. But yeah. that's a good shout. It, it, it very well could happen. I wouldn't bet on it at this point. But I do think they are going to be a player going forward. And La Liga, you mentioned Media Pro. The zone is a potential um, that, that, that watch that potential since you mentioned the La Liga and Media Pro. Yeah, so with the Serie A, you're right, Kartik. It, it, it is too soon for the zone because the zone, uh, I believe, today announced that they're going to officially launch their streaming service in the US in September. I think it's September 10th. Um, so it, it's, I mean, the season starts in Serie A, middle of August. So I think they're going to miss out on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see again in the next uh, week or two whether it'll be ESPN or Turner Sports getting those rights. Uh, moving on, uh, Josh Denz sent this in through email. He says, can someone please tell JP Delacamera now that the World Cup is over that the football lingo is clean sheet, not shut out? Does this drive anyone else crazy or is it just me? He says, I love the pod and keep up the great work. Drives me crazy. It it doesn't drive me crazy though. I mean, because I, because I, 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 I mean, it's very much American lingo. Um, I, this is one that came up. Kartik. That one doesn't drive me as as crazy as other things. Like for example, um, Tony Miola. And, and I was going to mention this in last week's pod, but I forgot. But Tony Miola in one of the games uh, that he was commentating was saying that uh, one of the teams uh, had sco- scored goals from restarts, and I was like, I was going to ask you. I, I'll ask you now. What does he mean by that? What's a restart? Does he mean a free kick? He means, he, a, mean a... he means a free kick. Okay, yeah. And I, I think it was Uruguay, and I think he was just saying that, yeah, Uruguay in this tournament has scored two goals from restarts. And I'm like, what the heck is restarts? And uh, I, unless he's talking about quick restarts. Or, no, 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 no. It was just it was a free kick. So he would call free kicks restarts. And, and that, to me, that pisses think, me off. <laughs> yeah, so in fairness to JP and Miola, I think that they're probably – the, the terminology that was used in the old NASL days when both came of age. Miola was, was playing in, in Carton, New Jersey uh, uh, around the time the Cosmos were the big thing at Giant Stadium just down the road. Uh, were all these Americanized terms. Now, I just think for the audience now, they should be using the proper terminology. But right. um, yeah, the shutout does bother me, but I, I like JP in general. Uh, it, it's just that uh, the terminology is uh, – there's a t- times, Chris, where – and I don't think JP and Miola are like this, but there's t- times that Americans do it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, which Paul Gardner is one of those uh, as, as a writer for oh, South yeah. America. Well, he, yeah, he has a big crux with <laughs> Europeans. So. Right, right, right. right. Even though he's European. All right, so moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. uh, Ian O'Neill sent in an email. Uh, it was a pretty lengthy email, so I had to truncate it a little bit. So, But he says, on a recent podcast, Kartik stated, you are in a situation this World Cup where you're taking substandard officials from all over the globe to meet some sort, some set of quota, uh, end quote. He says, I agree. Uh, for it is, it is only logical that merits should trump national origin. However, later in that same podcast, this, lonic, this logic vanished. You agreed with two arguments in Raquel's email that one, blue-blooded teams are privileged to the detriment of non-blooded, non-blue-blooded teams, and two, the media do not fairly cover non-blue-blooded teams. I strongly dis- disagree with both of uh, Raquel's arguments. Uh, first, he says, blue-blooded teams are, are objectively better than non-blue-blooded teams. For example, only teams from majority white or in uh, Brazil's case, uh, plurality white countries have won the World Cup. And essentially, all of the best players from Uruguay, Argentina, and Brazil moved to Europe's top leagues because those those leagues are better and more profitable. Uh, But you don't see an exodus of Europe's best players moving to Uruguay or Brazil or Argentina. 
in some essentially all blue-blooded teams, exceptionally talented, excellent players play in Europe's top leagues. For example, the 2017 uh, FIFA Best uh, Eleven in the world has not a single player who plays outside of Europe. Second, the media, while not perfect, do not poorly cover non-blue-blooded teams. I believe Raquel and you think uh, that the media... I, I believe uh, Raquel and you think that the media cover non-blue-blooded teams poorly because you conflated two ideas. One, they deserve to be here because they're qualified with. Two, they deserve to be taken seriously because, because they're qualified. It is perfectly reasonable to ignore or barely cover certain teams such as Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, Panama, Morocco, Australia or Iran. These six teams do nothing more than get the total number of teams up to 32 and there can be no doubt that these six teams are simply irrelevant also-rans. They lack quality in class. Uh, Tunisia's manager, after being eliminated, said, Arab associations need two more generations to reach the, the top level of performance. Arab, Arab associations are far from the required level. Two generations is a very, very long time. Any thoughts on this one, Carter? Because this was kind of aimed at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if Ian's American or not, but uh, the United States is a majority white it's a white country, majority Christian country, uh, vast majority Christian country. They're not going to win the World Cup anytime soon. So um, the United States getting uh, American fans jump up and down when European media doesn't take them seriously going into a World Cup. They deserve to be treated just like Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, Iran. Iran had four points, by the way, in this World Cup and were arguably a bad call, which is yeah. what Raquel's email was about to begin with, a bad call away oh, from two bad calls. group with Spain and yeah. Spain and Portugal in it. So um, I, my complaint is more about Americans who think that Americans should be taken seriously. The United States should be taken seriously in the men's game. We're talking about the men's game, not the women's game. Uh, but yet somehow Saudi Arabia qualifying as a joke, somehow Australia qualifying as a joke. Uh, and let me point out that these teams all finished ahead of uh, well, Australia beat head-to-head a team that finished ahead of the United States in qualifying. And South Arabia finished ahead of Australia in qualifying, qualified automatically. Um, my complaint, and maybe I didn't nuance it properly, is with the American announcer, the American media, the American fan, who make assumptions. They have a sense of entitlement born out of some degree of insecurity that they're not taken seriously in this sport, that they're not given recognition, that the English press never talks up the United States before World Cups, although in fairness, the U.S. finished ahead of England in the last two World Cups. Uh, if you just go by the FIFA retro uh, retroactive, you know, they do retrospective rankings after the tar- each tournament of 1 through 32. The U.S. finished ahead of England in, in 10 and 14 based on that. But um, I, I, I get some of what you're saying, Ian. I agree with a lot of your points, actually. Um, but I think part of my anger was about Americans and the way that and part of this disrespect towards Tunisia and Saudi Arabia and Iran was uh, in the first couple of days of the tournament. Oh, well, the U.S. is better than these teams. Really? The U.S. is a team that in, given this tactics of this World Cup with high pressing sides and having to quickly move the ball. The U.S. is a team that I think probably would have fared as poorly as Panama did, if I'm being perfectly objective about it. Uh, maybe they went to lost 6-1 to England, they would have lost 4-1. Maybe they went to lost 5, uh, whatever they lost, 4-0 to Belgium, it would have been 3-0. But they, um, they're they a team that tactically couldn't have hacked it. And I don't think those sides that American fans decided to pick on and say shouldn't be in the World Cup and didn't want to give any coverage to were any worse than the U.S. That's, that's the bottom line. And um, I think that part of this is the mentality of American uh, supporters that somehow – um, they've been they've been robbed, and there's always this kind of not robbed, but there's this insecurity and paranoia about the European media, paranoia about uh, these smaller countries. You know, you talk about Japan. Anytime I talk about Japan on social media, Ian, and you, you might appreciate this, uh, there's this insecurity. Fans. Oh, well, we've won more than them. We win more continental titles than they do. Well, yeah, you always host the continental uh, championship in the U.S. Right. Uh, it's American fans. So if I if I came across this, I was criticizing the European press or the European media. Uh, no, because the reality is these these World Cups are all won by majority white, majority Christian nations. It's, it's the bottom line. I'm not sure yeah, if you uh, I'm not sure if you saw yesterday's uh, tweet from Stuart Holden, which is probably a perfect example of this, uh, which he later deleted, which is essentially saying that uh, look at this U.S. team and, and don't forget that uh, this the same U.S. team 
uh, tied France 1-1 in a friendly right before the, before the World Cup. This is it. So you will talk to U.S. fans who will still say, oh, well, we beat Germany in a friendly in, in Hamburg or, or Cologne, wherever that match was. I think it was Cologne uh, in 2015. We beat Italy in a friendly uh, in, in Bologna the year that they uh, they went to the Euro finals. But you weren't at the same level. You then go into competitive matches and can't perform at that level. And you're playing a friendly. In fact, in that match, uh, Prandelli had called in, uh, I think, a Serie B player or two to play against the U.S., so there are all of these, uh, and it's all out of insecurity, Chris. I, I keep going back to this. It's the media, it's the fans, and it's people around U.S. soccer. I, I don't know. This is like the most consistent theme of this show since we've been doing it, is yeah. that there is this paranoia and insecurity which leads to this absolutely mind-numbing uh, analysis, which is condescending towards other nations that are trying to develop a football culture, whether they be in the Arab world or uh, like Tunisia and Saudi Arabia, or whether they be in the, the Pacific Rim like Japan and South Korea, or whether they be in in, in South America and not and, and be someone other than Uruguay, Brazil, other than the Southern Cone countries, Uruguay, Brazil, and uh, and Argentina. And then there is this uh, absolute mindlessness of trying to say that these uh, other European countries outside of the big powerhouse countries, outside, um, so the, the, the five European countries who have won the World Cup plus uh, probably Portugal. Uh, oh, no, that's uh, excuse me, because we'll always hear about how the U.S. beat Portugal in, in two World Cups. So um, outside of like the very elite countries, you, you hear about how the U.S. is comparable to them, even in from some people during this World Cup telling me, well, if the U.S. had been in uh, ex-UEFA qualifying group, they probably would have qualified. Are you kidding me? Was that Bruce Arena Please. that said that? Well, no, it wasn't Bruce Arena. There have been fans <laughs> who told me, oh, well, if they were in... Oh, yeah, but Arena probably would say that. Oh, oh he, he did. yeah, he did. Yeah. If they'd been in, 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 in the group which Ireland and Wales was in, I'm like, are you thinking they really would have finished ahead of the Republic of Ireland and made a playoff? Right. And do you think they would have beaten Denmark in that playoff? Please. And, and, and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, uh, friendlies, I mean, are meaningless in terms of the results. So, so one example, just, just one example, is that uh, Croatia played Peru in Miami – uh, I think in May, so just, just uh, I mean several yeah, weeks before, a- and Peru completely outplayed Croatia. Uh, I think the final score was uh, Peru. Uh, Peru had two goals. Croatia had nil. Uh, it could have been a lot worse. But you, you can't go by friendlies. I mean, friendlies are sometimes it's a. You mean it's the coach just trying out different tactics, trying. I'll out different tell you things. something about that friendly. I mean, because again, American fans tend to overreact to friendlies. Uh, the next day at work. Or the next uh, Monday at work, it was a Friday night, I was being chided by people saying, oh, you said Croatia had all these good players, and they're so good. I I saw them in person. They're terrible. It was a friendly. It was a friendly that they had to fly out, you know, in the middle of a European club season, too. Yeah, yeah, these games are largely meaningless, and you can't look at the results of them. And it's become an American thing to emphasize. I mean, I'll I'll go back to this comment by John Harks 10 years ago. Ten summers ago when the U.S. played Argentina in a friendly and Freddie Adu, um, he was angry because Freddie Adu didn't go to the corner to try and preserve a nil-nil draw and was trying to put a shot on target. Hmm. Because the U.S. Want, because he, the right. U.S. needs to get a draw. Um, and I think he was either paired with J.P. De La Camera or uh, Adrian Healy. I can't remember. And uh, um, the I, whoever he was paired with kind of you know put him in his place right. when he said this, which I think was De La Camera. So – uh, to the person who just bashed Del Camera, I'm, I'm praising Del Camera here, but uh, that was that's the, been the mentality in U.S. soccer. Let's get a result against a big team, and then let's build it up, and let's say we're, we, we've done this and we've done that, and then five years from now, when things aren't going well, we'll pull out this result because um, there are still people who say, "Oh, how can you say that uh, we're in decline? We beat Germany in the last, uh, we beat Germany twice in the last five years." Well, they were both friendlies. Right. One game in which uh, Germany had guys like Sidney Sam playing and Dennis Ologo and had uh, Ter Stegen make an absolute – a young Ter Stegen make an absolute howler in goal mm-hmm. to give the U.S. the win. Yeah, yeah, definitely good points, Kartik. Uh, speaking of the U.S., we've got one more question from one of the listeners, and this is from Craig Shapiro uh, via Twitter. He says, what the hell is going on with the U.S. Open Cup? It's the quarterfinals, and, and I can't even – find it on any streaming service espn could get it for two nickels what gives also why doesn't ussf promote this it's a great way to grow interest in the game uh this yearly question i wish i had the answers you're right craig you're absolutely right but it's not i don't know i don't get it uh 
there there are people saying that U.S. U.S. soccer tries to self-sabotage this cup. I don't believe that because I think they have tried incrementally to grow the digital presence and the um, the, the, the stories and having uh, PR interns and, and such do kind of compelling human interest stories, which there are a ton around the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, but in terms of the media rights, um, other than when FC Cincinnati made their run last year and ESPN brought, picked up those broadcasts, um, they haven't pushed it. I, I think if the Louisville games this year had been on ESPN, that might have driven or, or on anyone, FS1, uh, any kind of media partner, it might have driven some interest. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, if particularly during the summer when there's a uh, absence of programming on these networks, you would think it would be it would be an outstanding thing to promote. And I can just tell you this. Maybe my view is skewed because I've worked around NASL and USL clubs and now NPSL clubs. But the Open Cup is more important than your in many ways than your league. Now, coaches will always say the right things and say, oh, you know, we want to win our league first. You hear that in Europe also, even when people are talking about, oh, do you want to win the Champions League? Or do you want to win the Premier League or win the Bundesliga or whatever? Or our domestic league comes first. I will tell you from a front office standpoint, the U.S. Open Cup is more important to lower division teams in the U.S. than, um, than the league is. Other than once you get eliminated from the Open Cup, obviously you focus on the league. But during the time when you've got the overlap of matches, the Open Cup is more important. So... We don't see similar emphasis from TV networks. So, so, so going back to Craig, so, so one of the, the answer to his question is, is most of those games are on uh, ussoccer.com uh, and streamed through there. Uh, and, and US Soccer doesn't, right. do, doesn't do a good job of actually promoting that. Yeah, but my, point, my point was going to be that USL games are all on ESPN+. There's some games on ESPN2 or on ESPNU. Uh, even if you had that kind of coverage for the Open Cup, it would increase... The popularity, because as I'm saying, for USL clubs, there may people can argue with this if they want to, and we can we can have a discussion about it. For USL clubs internally in their front offices, when they're an Open Cup like Louisville last night, uh, uh, um, the Open Cup is more important than the league, period. But yet the league games are accessible on television or on streaming, and the Open Cup games you have to search for. So I, I yeah. that's the problem. Well- yeah, which is a perfect example because Wednesday night it was Cincinnati against Charlotte uh, on ESPN2, which, which I didn't hear any, anything about until somebody uh, tweeted me about it. Uh, and and at the, same, the same night, too, there were several uh, U.S. Open Cup games yeah. on and none of them were on television. USL teams probably, yeah. yeah. I, for, for me, Kartik, it probably goes back to who owns the U.S. Open Cup in terms of is, is there some property? Because it doesn't seem to be, no. and, if, and if it was a some property, then I could see. I mean, uh, U.S. Soccer and some working together to pr- try to promote this. Um, but in many ways, so too, probably you really need Major League Soccer to kind of drive this in order in order for it I to happen. One property, U.S. Soccer tries to sell on their own without some, and they're having and have an actual media rights division or a media marketing division, then or even a media rights person within their. Uh, their paid staff. And it, some of it is that. So that's internal, and maybe we should cut them some slack because they don't have any other properties to sell. You don't hire a person to a full-time job just to sell this property. But um, at the same time, uh, uh, it kind of shows their their lack of interest in the property, maybe, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely- uh, by, by the way, Chris, this is a discussion that goes on. Uh, Craig's the first one to write into the uh, podcast about this. This is a discussion that goes on every single year over and over again. So it's, I'm used to the question. I don't want to s- sound like I'm annoyed by it because I'm definitely not. I'm used to talking about it. It's just something we've talked through so many times and there's no answer. It's, it's, I agree with Craig. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So if you have any questions, feedback, advice, uh, or you want advice or you want to give advice to, uh, <laughs> you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Uh, plus, of course, you can always post comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So, Kartik, uh, before we go, uh, where can listeners find you on the internet or, or on Twitter so they can catch up on your latest uh, rants and raves? Yeah, KKFLA737. Look for me on World Soccer Talk. Also, uh, I had uh, just a, a little shameless plug here, a long primer on the Miami Freedom Park debate and Jorge Moss and Miami MLS uh, on yanksarecoming.com. I tried to balance that article. Um, I've gotten some good good feedback on it. So yanksarecoming.com for that. And uh, 
as that goes to the November ballot, I'll have some follow-ups for World Soccer Talk. So check that out at worldsoccertalk.com uh, in the not-so-distant future. Yep, and you can always reach me at uh, World Soccer Talk on Twitter or in the comments section at worldsoccertalk.com. Thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. In Kartik, with the World Cup over, uh, International Champions Cup uh, getting ready to start on Friday, as well as, of course, Liga Mekis and the Major League Soccer season, USL. Lots of soccer going on. What should they do? Enjoy your football.